0: How did you do it? Did you, where is, did you have another career that you were using to give you the room and the leeway to do the painting no. and sell, or were you relying on the income from your art?
1: Well, uh, that's a great question. So in the beginning of our, i married 35 years or 34 years now. And, uh, in the beginning, we very much, um, needed my side income. Uh, Frank would say, did you sell anything today? And I tell my kids, there were times I'd go to the grocery store and I always paid by check. And if I didn't have enough in the checking account, they knew it by scanning. So, uh, and they'd say, I'm sorry, you don't have enough. Right. Uh, and people find that hard to believe because they know where, uh, Emily that I'm in, uh, how could this, how could this have been? So things did change dramatically, but we, we, oh, we just kept saying yes to whoever needed something from us. Uh, even when we had little, you, you try and give what you can. Um, then things changed dramatically. Uh, we were both just doing much better. And it got to the point where I was able to give away 100% of whatever I earned on my art. Wow. And they gave that away. Uh, I was able to buy a car For a single mom with three children, I was able to help a kid uh, in college to pay his to have money every month and pay his bills.
2: This is episode number 241 with Lynn Mara. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the American Sippin' Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening in. We have another incredible guest for you on the show today. Before we get to that, I want to remind you all about our Great American Summit. This is our first live event, two-day live event, that's coming to Dallas, Texas, January 7th and 8th. Get to Dallas, get your ticket, ring in the new year with us, and an incredible lineup of speakers, over 100 patriotic Americans just like you, Dozens of like minded sponsors all coming together in one place to celebrate all the things that make America great. We're celebrating freedom, the American dream, America's core values. And at the same time, we're giving back and we're making an impact because all net proceeds are going to charities that support our veterans, our military, our first responders, and at risk youth and their families. So if you want to learn more, you want to grab your ticket, you want to join us in Dallas, Texas, make sure you go to greatamericansummit.com. Get your ticket today. See our full lineup of speakers. This is an event that you're not going to want to miss. It's all about strengthening yourself, your family, your community and country. Because the truth is real solutions will never be found in Washington DC. They'll be found in the hearts, minds and actions of great Americans like you. And just like the great American that we have featured here on today's show, her name is Lynn Mara. And you know, it wasn't too long ago that we all watched in horror. The entire world watched in horror. As our president and the leader of the free world surrendered Afghanistan to the Taliban, then to compound this tragedy, we lost 13, 13 brave service members during the evacuation process. And while many of us felt there was nothing we could do to offer comfort to the families of those fallen, today's guest was filled with a certainty that she did have something to offer. Lynn is a talented artist whose art has been flying out the door since she fully tapped into her gift and she used her gift as a means of offering comfort to the families of the fallen, just like she's extended herself to other people in extraordinary ways over the years. In this episode, Lynn talks about her path to an artist's career, her new work to support the nonprofit Tunnels to Towers, and how we can all discover the gifts we have to offer the world. Now, without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Lynn Mara. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast.
0: Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen, and I am here today with Lynn Mara. Her work is described as, and I pulled this off of her website, I thought it was super cool writing. As a writer, I appreciate that. Her work is described as American culture with modern flair. I think that is such a cool write-up. Whoever wrote that, if that was you, kudos to you. And it, it goes on to say that she captures the American spirit, which of course captures my heart and spirit as well. Um, After the tragic death of those 13 service members in Afghanistan, which is still fresh and raw and I'm sure we all remember, uh, Lynn was moved to use her gift of art and being an artist and the extraordinary work she does to support the families of the fallen, which is cool because in times like this that are natural, a lot of us want to reach out and do something. And a lot of us feel powerless to do something, but Lynn has a gift and she said, this is what I can do. And she used it. And that's what caught our attention when Dave and I saw her on Fox news. And literally while she was still being interviewed, I'm hitting up her DMS and Instagram because I'm like, this woman's going to get bombarded and we got to get to her. What I really love you know, on top of that is that Lynn has, she then created portraits of those 13 service members, and all the proceeds from sales of that line of portraits has gone straight to this organization that we know as well, Tunnel to Towers Foundation. We've met Frank. We know the work he does. And as the surviving spouse of a service member who was killed in Iraq, that touches a place in my heart as well. So I have extra appreciation for that. So today we're going to talk about all of that, what moved Lynn to do that, what patriotism is, what the American spirit is. But we're also going to get into some things that we can all apply to our own lives in other areas because it's not easy to create a successful, thriving business on your own, let alone in the art industry, I'm sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that is a super competitive sort of tough niche to get into. So I'm going to pick Lynn's brain about that and get some tips and uh, and advice and insight for anybody else looking to go down that path or even just to apply to their own business and how how to get into all that. So Lynn, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with us today.
1: I'm thrilled to be with you, and I love your opening. That was...
0: <laughs> I uh, just try to a- keep it real, huh? Pardon? I, but we just try to keep it real, and we're just talking, like having a conversation here, right? So we like our community feel like we're, they're just sitting down having a chat with us. Okay. I'm yeah. ready. All right. Let's do it. And as a little backdrop, um, this is like probably the 96th attempt that we've had to sit down and do this interview with Lynn, so I'm a little... Um, rushed from it all uh, because I've made some glitches along the way, and Lynn has just rolled with them, which I love and already endears her to me even more. So, Lynn, let's get into it a little bit first on your background. I go to your website and I see the background and I read that bio with you that just says you've always been interested in art. You've been an artist as long as you can recall, and you know I'm a mom. I have four kids, and I got their art, you know, and uh, and I certainly created my own version of art as I was growing up and stick figures is where I begin and end more or less. (laughs) So, um, what was your art like? Was it always different as a child? Was, were your teachers like, wow, this kid can really draw or was it beauty is in the eye of the beholder that sort of fleshed out later into things that were more widely appreciated.
1: That's a great starting point. Um, it, my art has definitely evolved a lot, uh, to answer one of your questions. Yes. Yes. When I was like in high school, um, and maybe even before then, I mean, I've been painting and literally selling my art. My first painting I sold when I was about 11 or 12. Uh, we used to sell flowers out in the stand, at the stand in front of our home. And that's where I sold my first painting. But uh, I can hardly re- well, I, I can remember what the art was like back then. It was very photorealistic. Uh, what I saw was what I tried to copy exactly. And I I quickly realized how boring that was. and. Um, you know it, it it's it's a lot of uh, it was another artist who really loosened me up a, a guy named Jack Riggio who i used to love he's gone now but he was uh, he was terrific and he took me into his home one day into his studio and he said go home i want you to take some of my tools and just loosen up and have fun and you know you give somebody some vibrant color and then some crazy new tools and tell them just go have fun it's it's really like dancing like nobody's watching you it's uh, just forget about all the, you know, the intimidation and the, you know, the f- fear of failure and all that jazz. Uh, so I've come a long way, uh, but it took a long time. This didn't happen overnight, you know, 50 years of doing this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do know. I love it. And I like how you say, uh, you know, that that is your music. What do you say? It's the the sound coming out of my horn or whatever. It's your music. I <laughs> often tell people, I tell them I write and I speak because I am banned from singing in in all 50 states. <laughs> Most of the world, right? Like that's my music, that's my expression. I write and I and I speak because drawing and singing, nope, not my. You know, not not really where my uh, talents lie, and I'm not really doing any benefit to the to humanity by. presenting those to the world, you know? So I like how you, you apply that own sort of theory to your, to your art. I think that really resonated with me. How did that evolve then? At what point did you sort of start traveling down the road where the American spirit and uh, the more patriotic streak and the American culture came into your heart and then into your art?
1: Okay. Um, So I'll give you a quick a quick uh, just background and then fast forward to now. I grew up in a very farmy area. It was Southampton, Long Island. Maybe, you know, people think of that as some kind of wealthy summer community. But when I grew up there, I you know, we grew up adjacent to a uh, potato field. And so um, my husband always joked that he saved me from a potato field. Or he actually used some coarser language than that. And we'll that- laugh but i think you know it was it's that farmy mentality that um there's just some, there's something very wholesome about it there's uh something authentic and real and genuine about those people so that was the background i came from a very humble background um then let's fast forward to 18 months ago uh the covid the whole covid thing that really changed my art um more than any other single event or person in my career. And I would go on these five-mile walks every day. I'd take a run in the morning, say the rosary, go to mass, come home, and i paint. And at the end of the day, I was, uh, during COVID, there was so much time that I was uh, throwing in a five-mile walk too. And on those walks, uh, I was seeing things that I'd already always seen before, but now was uh, looking at them in a very new light. And uh, something as basic as um the trees and these bulbs say in March the, uh, when they would push up through frozen earth, uh, and I wondered to myself how in God's name are these tender little shoots and bulbs pushing through you know through the dark underworld, up through uh, up through the snow and everything and they're not heard they're not um I-, I wondered what is what's drawing them and what is pushing them And what I discovered, almost immediately was the very same thing that is drawing and pushing them is drawing and pushing each and every one of us. And I saw, it it was such a profound sort of revelation to me or uh, that if I just behaved a little more like them um, in other words, I didn't fight my creator, the one who gave us all purpose and talent. You, you mentioned talents before that you probably shouldn't sing. And that's why you write and speak. And well, uh, we all have, you know, talent. So I decided to go home that day and, um, really lose my fear of failure, lose my, um, uh, sense of intimidation or, uh, or this great concern of whether how I'd be recognized by other, would I be accepted? Would, would the art be good enough? You know, it can be so cruel and harsh. And I'm telling you, those 18 months have been the most productive. I've sold more paintings. In fact, I was selling a painting every single day. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, then when that when the when the uh, August came and the Afghanistan tragedy happened. Uh, I knew instantly when that, when that message came into my heart, um, I knew, uh, it was sort of like, put on your helmet, pull pull up your boots. Uh, we got work to do here and I knew exactly what it was and, and how to go about it. And it was, uh, it was thrilling, really. It was, uh, it was really fun to get started on it. And then also to realize how many things, I hope you don't mind if I invoke God now and then of course yeah thanks to that but I I wouldn't get anywhere without him and you know so um I I just I started to deconstruct what had uh how I was going to go about this whenever I look at another artist's work I deconstruct to see how did they get there and in other words what were the layers what was the process how did they um fall into this so I started to deconstruct these 13, um, the paintings that I, they weren't paintings, they were really digital works of art, but I realized that God had moved uh, a 14 year um, scripture study course that I was doing every Tuesday. He had moved that off my, it cleared my deck. So I had lots of time, and this is gonna require lots of time, not quick. It was very quick to produce them, but it, the work that came after working with Frank Siller and Tunnel to Towers and doing interviews, it's very time consuming. And I started to look back and it's almost 25 years worth of God's intervention, uh, bringing people into my life at just the right time. Uh, people that I didn't know 25 years ago, I was going to need them in August and September. They stepped up and that some people brought me to Bill hammer, uh, which brought me to you. And here we are in a nutshell, like in, you know, in five minutes, um, uh, it kind of just gave you a, a quick how we got yeah.
0: here. Yeah, no, I love that. And I again, a lot of it registers with me. And I think once you, um, I I had to adopt this policy, what I call surrender to the experience. And that doesn't mean like you're giving up or rolling over. But what that meant to me was I had to just surrender to the notion that I always knew was better. And I had to learn how to be aware to recognize things that were incoming and even if they appeared bad, how to not like push? I had to surrender to accepting them and and turning them around into like understanding why or the purpose or what I'm supposed to do with it. And that to me is what you just described in a way that's almost better than I ever could. You just had to sort of surrender to the experience of being who you are and what your gifts are and where your heart lies and what you're being pulled to, even if you don't understand why any yeah. of it is happening. You just have to. Go with it and give in, or you're going to miss out on so much when you, when people, I think a lot of times when people don't understand why something is coming at them, they just shut it down and they miss out on so much that way. Uh, And so I think you just described that pretty eloquently. um, And I'm glad that I recorded it because I'll go back and and draw from it, you know, as I go. So then, did you reach out to the families of those 13 service members at any time before, or during, or after? Uh, Certainly,
1: created those. But once they were, once the uh, portraits were created, um, they began to reach out to me. Now, I haven't heard from all 13 families, but it was my, my um, goal and mission right off the bat to make sure that every one of those families got one, at least one, or as many of these prints um, signed with a cover letter from me as they would like. And so it, that's been part of the thrill is to actually communicate with some people, but I, I have no business are They are so above and beyond me. Um, but, and I never would have been connected to them except for this, but how I feel so fortunate to be able to, to, um, uh, it's just speaking through emails or a text or instant message, but we're going back and forth and they're so grateful, you know, and, um, it just makes my, makes me purr
0: <laughs> yeah. to, I love okay. that. So I have to ask, um, if anybody has come at you with negative feedback, has anybody come out there and said things like you're profiting off of, have you gotten no. any of that? Has it all been positive?
1: I, Oh, I've answered over a thousand emails. Nice. Not one person has said something negative. And in fact, I'm going to start to put them on my, on my website, just a few of yeah. the, of the nice things that, uh, because it, it's blown my mind really, uh, just how hopeful it made them feel, how it gave them, um, they, they felt like something was lost and forever, you know, that like that kindness and goodness might be lost forever, that we had just, that we were almost, uh, consuming one another. And, um, so there, they were so delighted and accepting and grateful and, uh, which in turn made me even more grateful. Uh, no. So every one of them had nothing but nice things to say and that is really heartwarming
0: and almost unheard of now which is why like i was almost cringing a little bit as i asked that question because i have to say i'm i'm actually pleasantly surprised to hear that response because based on my experience and my colleague's experience and and all that i my experience has been that almost no good deed goes unpunished in the fact that I feel like you could put the cutest little puppy up and you would get haters saying you're holding the puppy. It just feels like there is very little ground left to stand on where someone does not take offense or become angry at you or accuse you of doing something without even knowing you otherwise. So that actually is very heartwarming for me to hear that this was received with the intent in which it was offered. And I I think that does give hope that people are ready for that. Maybe more now than ever. Maybe people are just like getting to the point where we're all just going to hold up the white flags and say, okay, I'm going to stop being mad at you and doing this or that. Like maybe you just gave people that place to stand on and hopefully that'll grow. Hopefully everybody who chose to come stand on that ground that you offered and you invited them into, hopefully they invite somebody else in and then they invite someone else in, right? That's exactly what I'm hoping. I said to Bill Hammer that morning that my
1: heart was literally set on fire and that I want to go and set other hearts on fire. And I think I have, and all, you know, who knows how many hearts we set on fire every day. If it's only one, one spark, and then they'll go and spark one or two others. It Before long, it'll go right around the world. And right. um, so, you know, I think it gives me great hope uh, that something's, I see something good cracking and heaving and. Uh, so a better way um co- because we can't continue you know no, to- it's
0: yeah it's not sustainable where we're at now, yeah yeah definitely not have you heard from other families of fallen service members with requests or yes
1: mm-hmm. uh, so the nakui family uh reached out to me um uh and so I've sent prints off to them uh, uh the the widow or, or actually not the widow, but she is, was the, she was engaged, um, to, uh, Taylor Hoover. So the, uh, you know, he, she reached out Nikki Weiss is her name. And, uh, I had put, in, I had put junior after his name. And so she corrected me. And, uh, I, so I sent her corrected prints. And, uh, so we went back and forth, but she was just so beautiful and so grateful. And, Uh, sent them also to his mom and to his two sisters. And uh, so that is a really uh, beautiful connection. Again, I I pinch myself as I have throughout my entire married life, I pinch myself and say, how did I get here? You know, it's so beyond um, the way I was born and raised. And, um, you know, I just, there was nothing razzle dazzle about it. And (laughs) to meet such special people that way, I hope I get to meet them in person one day, but but it's really neat to, uh, to speak to you. I mean, you've, you've, you're, you're one of these, um, wives and moms and sisters and daughters that, you know, have suffered, uh, such a a loss that I can't even comprehend, but like you and I, I can only imagine what, um, it must be like.
0: Yeah. And, um, it, it, it's hard and it's awful. It's, (laughs) everything. It's all the awfulness you imagine it could be, you know, times that times time, a thousand, then put it in a blender and keep that going for about 10 years. You know, that's what it is. But I also think that very few people who open themselves up to love and live intensely and put themselves out there. I think there's very few people who go through life unscathed by some sort of pain or trauma or adversity. And, you know, this this was mine and I have other things that are mine, but I'm you know, we could probably sit here and peel back layers of Lynn's life and find things that were brutal for you to deal with, you know? So it just takes different forms. Like we all have our challenges and our pain and our trauma and adversity in different ways, but what form it takes in our lives is the differentiating factor. And then what we do with it sets Mm -hmm. us, sets us apart as well. So, you know, I'm sure I pretty, and that's how I look at everyone now. I'm like, I try to remind myself, I'm like, this person has a story. That person is going through something, you know, someone cuts you off. I try to be like, not angry at them. Like maybe they just came from the hospital where they so or like wh- whatever situation, because I know I did things in my worst moment. So I think it just gives you an awareness too. Uh,
2: yes. But you,
0: you reached out and respected those. And I'm I'm glad to hear that those families welcomed your interaction with them and wanted you to be a part of that, because I imagine as well that they're also getting bombarded by people who are not sincere and by people who don't have the best intentions, because Mm. I know that that happens. It's happened to me. It's happened to so many of my widow friends that they're bombarded with people who don't have pure intentions and uh, Mm. who are actually just out to seek to cause trouble and pain and heartache in a place where there already is some, so that they Mm. were able to recognize your intent I think it's good Then you've, you've achieved something like beyond your portraits, you've just like, they're your tool, right? But. Well, two points. Yeah. When, when you want nothing in return, right.
1: uh, There's something very genuine about that. I mean, it it wouldn't even bother me if I had gotten some angry mail or hate mail, I would have said, you know, that I felt sorry for that person that really would say
0: something only about them and nothing about me. So, but I didn't, I didn't receive yeah, any. That's great. That's great. So then what connected you with Frank and tunnels to towers? Uh, that was uh part of the magic. Uh, the night before I was going to
1: have the interview with Bill Hammer. Um, I, I realized that, gee, you know, I'm going to make everything go to tunnel to towers. And I assume that they'll, they'll be, on board with that but I really needed permission I couldn't you know I had to make sure I reached out to um we had a contact through the New York Giants uh because that's uh, my my husband's in that business and um so they connected me to Kathleen Coleman and she connected me to Frank Frank called me at six o'clock the night before my interview and that again was one of the greatest thrills of my life I I I knew his voice. I felt like I knew him. I'd seen him on TV a million times. And uh, once I spoke to him, it was like, I have not, it was like an old friend. I, I, I felt this love right over the phone, you know, as if I had known him my whole life and it was wonderful. And of course he's, he said, we're never letting go. You know, once you, you know, we have a saying in the giants, once a giant, always a giant. Well, Frank felt that way with the tunnel to towers thing you know, once you're with us, uh, your family and, and I want to be, I don't ever want to leave them or let them down. So. Awesome. Um,
0: yeah, that's, that's great. It was like, again, you were in the right place at the right time and you could have chosen to ignore that, or, just, or that feeling that you had, or you could have got distracted with other things, but you just surrendered to that feeling and, and went with it and look at what is happening. And I, I keep harping on that because I think it's such an important message and lesson for so many of us to to do because it can really change the trajectory of our lives and other people's lives. So let's get into a little bit of the practical stuff because I know that there are plenty of people out there, especially now, who are either taking a leap away from their jobs that are providing an income or being shoved out of their jobs that are providing an income. And maybe these people have something they are passionate about as well and just have no idea how to go about following that passion and utilizing this opportunity to create a new line of income and provide for themselves and their family doing something that they also love. Do you have any words uh, for someone who may have that thing that they love whatever that thing is whether it's cars or writing or I'm going to I'll go with the artistic world because I think that's almost it feels a little more vague and more difficult to get a footing in than when you can't have this like concrete skill set or something that people need, right? It's more like something that people want or that you want. So do you have any words of insight into how to take that thing that you love or that drives you or fuels you and turn it into income?
1: Oh, wow. Well, the income thing that was, that changed dramatically this year too. And I'll get to that in a second. But, um, when you go back to the fact that we all have a talent, uh, no one's been created without some gift. Everyone's been given a gift and purposefulness. And uh, I think we are, we're actually in a crisis of purposelessness. People don't know what their purpose is. So When you get that, that thing, that feeling, that voice in your heart, don't doubt it. It's not you talking to you. It's, I have a deep relationship with God and he's the first and last guy I talk to every day. I don't phone a friend when I'm in trouble. I talk to him. And this is what really has pulled me through every day. I get up, I thank Him. I say, don't let me go now. Uh, please, please keep inspiring me, show me, show me the way and I will follow you. But uh, so that I'm not sure what how practical that is, because I'm not sure how many people are willing to try. But I am telling you, if you try that, try talking to him, you will not fail. (laughs) Uh, I I, it's, you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make them can't make them drink. Um, I have found that to be the the greatest, um, source of power, inspiration, success, uh, and even, uh, in times of failure, there's great meaning and silver lining in it. So it's all a blessing. It's, it's all, uh, the times that I don't, you know, sell a painting or something's not right. I can start over. Uh, I paint over things and so, and never become discouraged. So, all right, so what are some things that we can do? First of all, discipline. I'm very disciplined and I would highly recommend trying to incorporate some discipline in everyone's, you know, uh, from the moment I get up, I have a schedule, uh, you know, and it's disciplined. I, I told you what I do right off the bat, you know, by seven o'clock in the morning, I'm out for a run, I say the rosary every morning. Then I go to 8.30 mass, uh, from there I come back and I paint eight, 10, 12 hours a day. What, what happens in that time, I always say, is whatever God meant for me to accomplish in that day. Some days end and I feel like I didn't accomplish all that I wanted to accomplish. So long as I get done what he wanted me to, that's that's it. So go easy on yourself, you know, be disciplined, but go easy on yourself and and involve him in big decisions and, and choices in your life. Um, the money thing, I, I don't know, maybe... maybe Maybe you could uh,
0: set up a new pitch for me. What- <laughs> so what? it's, you know, people love what they're doing. Like for me, I'll, I'll use me. I, I was drawn to write. You know, I had things that need, I needed to write. And that's what I did. Um, I was fortunate that I wasn't relying on my writing to generate an income where I had the ability to pay my bills, but still take that leap and invest in myself and my writing And it didn't pay off for many, 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 years. it's only just now starting to like gain traction and take me where I had envisioned it going in some ways. So is that what you would recommend to people as well to maybe not throw everything in because there is the practical side of it to like, maybe you'll find that side hustle job, or maybe you have to do a job that you like less, but carve out time for that thing you love and build it into something you can Mm-hmm. Turn into your living, or would you say like you just slow and steady or jump right in? Like what would your like how did you do it? Did you were is did you have another career that you were using to give you the room and the leeway to do the painting no. and sell? Or were you relying on the income from your art? Well, uh, that's a great
1: question. So in the beginning of our I'm married 35 years or 34 years now. And, uh, in the beginning, we very much, um, needed my side income. Uh, Frank would say, did you sell anything today? And I tell my kids, there were times I'd go to the grocery store and I always paid by check. And if I didn't have enough in the checking account, they knew it by scanning. So, uh, and they'd say, I'm sorry, you don't have enough. Right. Uh, and people find that hard to believe because they know where, um, uh, Emily that I'm in, uh, how could this, how could this have then so things did change dramatically, but we we all oh, we just kept saying yes to whoever needed something from us, uh, even when we had little, you you try and give what you can. Um then things changed dramatically. Uh we were both just doing much better, and it got to the point where I was able to give away a hundred percent of whatever I earned on my art. Yeah. And they gave that away. Uh I was able to buy a car for a single mom with three children. I was able to help a kid uh, in college to pay his, to have money every month and pay his bills. And it went on and on. I mean, I don't mean that. I don't want to go in too much. No, that's amazing. I love that. I love that you did that. But I think when you trust where it's coming from, so it comes from a sense of gratitude. I knew where the heck, I knew who was buttering my toast. And (laughs) I- every day. And so I went from, it was, it's not like Cinderella or rags to riches or any of that, but it, but I knew what it was like to, to have almost nothing and scrambling. I I felt the same anxiety other people did of not being able to pay the bills to a point where we had more than enough. And I was able to give away when that happens, use it for good because every time we do that that grace gets doubled. It's, all, it's sort of like uh, if you have a garden and you love the flowers, but you never cut them and bring them inside, well, then they just die on the vine. But if you cut them and bring them inside, you're gonna enjoy them and so will other people and two more will grow in its place. That's what was happening. If I cut what I was doing and gave it away, so I loved it, I enjoyed it, and now I had this second layer where I could give it away and bring some joy to someone else, uh, now my joy was doubled, but I, at the same time, he was doubling everything, all of my abilities,
0: right?
1: So I, you can never out give the giver himself. You can never, we, we could try and it's smart to try, but you can't outgive. <laughs> but it's worth trying. And you find that the more you give, even from your own poverty, the more you're going to get. So I know these are very obscure answers, but it's, it's, I mean them and I have found It took a long time. It takes a lot of trust and a lot of sticking with it, but um, I've been on both sides. So I came from nothing and I may go back to nothing, but I know what it's like. And so I'm not being pompous when I say, you know, to try these, to try something different. Don't resist. I think people's, one of our biggest problems, Matthew Kelly always talks about this, one of the greatest writers uh, about Resisting happiness, we resist from the moment we wake up every day. You know, we resist getting out of bed. We resist uh, the work we have to do. We resist, you name it. It's all day long. Uh, I say, stop! Don't resist. Give into it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you ask about talent and 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 cultivating it, stop resisting. Just go do it. Do something. Do take some action. Don't not lip service, but action. And that will turn into fruit, a harvest.
0: I love it. I love it. And a lot of what you said, I know it can feel counterintuitive when you you believe that you're down, you're out, you have nothing to give. It can feel so counterintuitive to take the little that you have and put it out there for someone else in some way, even if it's just your energy. If you feel like you have such little energy, but then when you go out, you give that energy to someone else and encourage them or do something sweet for them or pay a five bucks of their grocery bill if they're short at the line or whatever, you know, it can seem so counterintuitive to do that. But when you do, it becomes addicting, right? And you're like, wow, that made me feel good. And not necessarily to go post it on Instagram. Hey, I did this today. Hey, I did that. That's like a little, uh, you know, either way, right? It can go pros and cons right. to, pros and cons to doing that. There's a balance to be struck with there. Uh, yeah. But to just do it. And that feeling you get just for yourself and don't even tell anyone about it. Don't, that's the secret. I feel like when you don't tell anyone about it, that moment, that day, it's one thing to go back and say, Hey, you know, five years ago, I did this. It made me feel really good. Or in the context of a conversation, but you don't like spread it out there on banners. Like, Hey, I just gave this homeless man a cup of tea or something. Right. So um, but you just carry that with you. And then you don't even understand the people that are watching. You lead by example and you do that. And it does. It makes you feel so good. And I think it strengthens you and gives you confidence inside too, to know that you have value to give when you feel like you're worthless, but then you discover value in yourself. It's a you game are, changer. Sure. Touch yeah. But, but you're
1: you're <laughs> right words and all the right it's,
0: topics. Well, I mean, you're putting it so eloquently first, and yeah, and I'm just like going out there and rehashing it so people get it twice, right? So because it takes a lot of time for a message to repeat, even as people are saying, "Oh my god, you don't get it, you don't possibly, you don't know what I'm what I'm talking about." Like it's easy for you to say, but no, like I get it, and and it can be easy to say, but and it's hard to do. But that's the beauty of it. Like that's where the beauty lies, I think. Anyway, so in these last few minutes, before we got to go, I do want to touch on the patriotic theme, the American culture and all that. How is it outside of what you've done with these service members? Uh, How does the American culture and that beautiful flag you have behind you for everybody watching this uh, video interview, you can see it if you're just listening to this on whatever podcast platform you enjoy. She's got this big, gigantic, beautiful flag that she's created behind her and um, actually let's first, before we forget, go to the website where they can, let's yeah, give them Lynn, the website. That's say, great. Yeah. Say they that, yeah. Say that again. Say that again, because you cut out for a second. Say the website again. Okay. So if they go to lynnmarad.com,
1: they can see all the service portraits, uh, the, the 13, uh, uh, what I call sacred souls, they're right front and center on my, so is the painting behind me. Yeah.
0: Um, a whole lot more. Beautiful. Yeah. And we're going to put that link in an article and all that, that we'll put up with the post as well, and then people will be able to find it on all of our platforms. So to you, then, one of the reasons that we started what we're doing years ago, having no clear idea of where it was going to take us, we just had this feeling that uh, there was a lot of hate out in the world, and this country was beginning to tear apart at the seams. And for me, from a family who's given so much for this country, it just depressed me and hurt me. And so we didn't know exactly what what we were meant to do with what we had, We just knew that this is what we felt like we were being called to do. So we started this platform and we started, we figured to make it simple at first, we thought that by bringing people on who were living their own version of the American dream, that that would prove, because it felt like the American dream was what was most under attack, that people were denying it existed or saying it only existed for people who were born into those opportunities that the rest of the world doesn't have and all that. And so we thought, no, that's not true. Um, There's a lot of people who've come forward in my life and done extraordinary things for me with expecting nothing in return, like you mentioned before. And we knew people who'd worked so hard to build immense success for themselves and give back to others, living their version of the American dream. So we thought if we spotlight these people, we'll prove that it's true, right? And because these are real life people. So that's what started it. But it evolved The more people got upset with us saying, no, the American dream doesn't exist. So what we realize is that it does exist, but it looks different for everybody. There's no one uniform code of what the American dream is. It's not the same for everyone. Not everybody wants the house and the fence and the car and the kids and the two weeks vacation. Some people want much different things. So that is why we like to ask people in this long rounded way that I just took. I'd Mm -hmm. like to ask you, what is your version of the American dream? What does that look like for Lynn?
1: So you're, you cut out a little, my phone is probably losing its juice.
0: We froze up for a little bit there. Long story short, what is that version of the American dream for you? What does that look like for you? How do you customize it for yourself?
1: I I basically got what you said. So I I think it's, we all need a place to belong. And uh, everybody is clamoring to get in here. So something special is going on. It is the greatest place on earth and we are hardwired to be loving and kind and good where it's, it's our, it's our nature to be that way. Uh, And so the, yes, the American dream is, it's a place to belong. Uh, It's uh, it's a place where I do belong and where everyone is as different as we may be. We've, we have so much uh, in common and to be thankful for um, our our very, our very gift for being here, our, our very creation. Uh, let's you know just start there it's uh, the greatest country on earth I think and uh i know I know that uh in my own family there may be people who don't see it the way I do, but uh I'm with you i and I think we should I'm never gonna let up on it it's uh it's the only place that people are just dying to get in literally dying to get yeah. into
0: yeah. I love it. Lynn, really, thank you so much for the example you set, for taking the time to answer my Instagram message and everything that has followed on our path to make this happen today.
2: All right, everyone, there you have it. That wraps up another episode of the American Sippets podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Look, if you got any value out of today's episode, please Share this podcast with a friend. Let people know what we're doing here. This is a mission of ours. This is our purpose. This is our work. And it's less about us and actually more about the stories of the extraordinary people that we have here on the show and the contribution that they're making to our society and doing their part to make America a better place. I'd like to personally thank Lynn for being here. Again, if you got any value, share this podcast with a friend. Please leave us a five-star written review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. Share one of your favorite episodes on social media. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, at American Snippets. Don't forget, we have our Great American Summit coming up January 7th and 8th in Dallas, Texas. Get there. Ring in the new year with us. Go to greatamericansummit.com to learn more. And if you got value out of this episode, you can also catch the full write-up and show notes and watch the full video interview on our website. Go to americansnippets.com forward slash newsletter. Again, thanks for being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are.